You're heading south of the Mason-Dixon. This is the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. Here is your host, Brian McClanahan. Welcome back to the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. This is Brian McClanahan, your host, and this is episode 75, covering the week of June 5th through 9th, 2017. Glad to have you back on the program. Glad to be here. Before we get started, always a little housekeeping. If you like this podcast and you like what we do at the Abbeville Institute, please, first and foremost, share our information around on social media. You can do so by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter, and liking our YouTube account. Uh, just go out and search for the Abbeville Institute on all of those social media platforms, and you will come up with our information. Also, if you would like a free ebook, Kirkpatrick Sales Emancipation Hell, just head on over to abbevilleinstitute.org. Give us an email address, and we'll give you the ebook. And not only that, you'll get on our email list. And you will receive our daily dose of Dixie, along with our weekly email on Sundays. All of those things are great to share around with your Southern and non-Southern friends alike. If you would like to help us keep the lights on at the Abbeville Institute, then you can go to abbevilleinstitute.org. At the top of the page, you'll see a, a tab that says Support. Drop that down, and you'll see a, a button for Memberships for Individuals. There's also other giving options as well, but you can go that for that uh, Memberships for Individuals button, and you can give us as little as $3 a month if you're a student or $25 a year if you're a student, uh, and you can help us support what is true and valuable in the Southern tradition, help us explore what's true and valuable in the Southern tradition. Uh, we exist on your generous contributions alone. So go on out there and do that for us. It would, uh, again, help us keep the lights on, help us keep our, our podcast running, our website up and running. Help us put forward uh, good educational programs, including our summer school, which is coming up July 9th through 14th, uh, 2017 at Seabrook Island, South Carolina. Uh, I think almost all of the slots are full, but there still are maybe a few left, particularly if you're a student and you're interested in going. You need to contact Dr. Livingston as soon as possible. All of that information is also on our website in the middle of the page. It says you were invited, and you go there and click on that. And get the full schedule that is available, and you can see who will be teaching. Yours truly will be teaching at the uh, summer school on the Thursday, the day before we leave. But I'll do two lectures on that Thursday. So I'm looking forward to being at the event and meeting all of you. Uh, from what I understand, this is uh, going to be a, a very well-attended summer school. Um, uh, right now, I think we're looking at about 70 people. That's uh, fantastic. So uh, come on out. And uh, go to our uh, go to our webpage and get some information about that, and try to get in touch with Dr. Livingston if you are interested in going. Time is running out. Okay, so let's talk about the material we have for the week. Uh, we had a number of good pieces this week, again on a general theme, with the exception of one of the pieces. But uh, the theme is the attack on Southern memorials and monuments and Confederate symbols and all of these type of things. And really, as as the pieces get into. This is more or less an attack on Western civilization itself. And where is it all going to end? And, of course, the hypocrisy is deep. Uh, the, the deflection of real issues in some of these areas is deep when you look at what's going on in New Orleans. And I'll talk about that when I get to the piece by Gail Jarvis that we ran on Thursday. But we started with a piece by Boyd Cathy. And the title of this particular piece is Robert E. Lee, Revolution, and the Question of Historical Memory. And this particular piece, you know, Dr. Cathy does have a Ph.D., uh, and he's been around uh, a long time writing about Southern issues and uh, Western civilization. He spent a lot of time in Europe, and uh, he's well, uh, well known in the uh, Southern heritage circles uh, for writing excellent, uh, excellent pieces on Southern history and culture. 
in this particular piece, um, it talks about the historical profession and, and something we brought up on this on this podcast before. But really, what's happened um, in when we're seeing these monuments under attack? What we've had for about the last twenty to thirty years is a shift in the historical profession. And he brings that up. He said, 60 years ago, you still had uh, historians who had differing views, and that was okay. You had differing views on the war and the South and Southern culture and history and heritage. And so you read these different views, not just as a quaint reminder of how bad history used to be, and essentially that's what you're reading it for now, if you even read it. Uh, But you read it because history, as anyone who studies history knows, is more interpretation than anything else. There are very few facts in history. There are many interpretations of history, and and that's the beauty of history. Uh, People can have uh, various interpretations about their own past, their own own, uh, background, the history of their own people. And essentially, that's what the historical quote-unquote profession is all about. It's understanding the historiography. It's understanding the different views of, of uh, schools of thought and being able to digest those and glean from them what is valuable in those things. And so when you look at what we're doing at the Abbeville Institute, we are gleaning what is true and valuable in the Southern tradition. Uh, just by saying that nowadays, unfortunately, you are painted in a way of being someone who supports uh, the reinstitution of slavery, for example. And no one in the Institute or that I know, even says these things. Uh, No one runs around saying what we need to do is uh, bring back uh, 1950s South uh, in terms of the the racial structure of the 1950s. But what we do know is that there are many things you can learn from the South, as we've said in this podcast over and over again, as we put on our website over and over again. There are many things we can learn from the South and the Southern tradition that would be valuable today. Uh, For example, um, you know, when you look at agrarianism, there's something wholesome about agrarianism. Christian civilization uh, that the South held on to longer than anyone else. The principles of decentralization and limited government. Uh, The principles of uh, Jeffersonian economy. All of these things come out of the South. And so the Abbeville Institute is dedicated to trying to keep those things alive. But unfortunately, and actually, the left knows that. They understand, I think, the ones that are in the the movers and shakers, the power brokers, that what these symbols represent is not necessarily white supremacy or uh, you know these type of things. That's that's a nice platitude. That's it's a that's a nice attacking point, but it's really a deflection because what the what the symbols really represent is defiance. And at one point uh, there was a piece that we ran months ago uh, that was written in Time magazine, and and the author actually pointed that out. I mean what these what these symbols are is dissidents, and that's why they need to be done away with. So when you when you wave a Confederate flag, this is why I don't understand why Americans who believe in decentralization don't wave that flag all the time, because what it represents is resistance to central authority. We can run around talking about how we don't like the general government doing this or the general government doing that, but yet we're still going to walk around with the flag of the empire uh, we're going to wave that on Flag Day, which comes up on June 14th next week. We're going to put that flag up, and we're going to say, this is it. Uh, who cares if that flag represents everything I'm not for? Uh, but I'm still going to fly it. Well, why? It'd be better just to fly your state flag, or a, or a Confederate flag, or uh, you know something of that nature. 
uh, a, a Gadsden flag. Or if you want to fly a U.S. flag, fly the Bennington flag or uh, the Calpins flag, you know, one of those flags. Because that's when the Federal Republic was a real Federal Republic. What we've got now is the Empire. And so if you're going to go running around flying that U.S. flag, I mean, you're basically by default saying, you know, I don't really care if the entire government's corrupt, if the entire system is corrupt. I don't care about that. Uh, I'm just going to keep uh, flying that flag anyways. And by flying a, a, a different flag, it's not saying you don't care about the United States. In fact, what you're saying is you do care about the United States. You care about the principles by which the United States was founded and not the ones that have been perverted now. And uh, this is what we have when you look at the historical profession nowadays, is perverting the past for its own benefit. And, of course, it's producing the ideological zeal, as uh, Boyd Cathy calls it, that, uh, as he says, has increasingly few limits. Um, anything that is something that deflects or at least disputes, I think disputes is a better term, disputes what's going on in, in American society now is just called fascist or racist or homophobic. As long as it stands in the way of progress, he says, it's going to be called names. And that's not real political discourse. That's not real, uh, real intellectual discourse. And, of course, this process, as he says, has been going on for a long time. Um, as Dr. Cathy says, it is no exaggeration to see the attacks on the Lee statues and southern symbols as part and parcel of this current assault, which aims not just at those more prominent artifacts of the Confederacy, but also takes aim at the very presence of Western and Christian civilization itself. For, in fact, none of it can stand if the cultural Marxist narrative of irreversible and onrushing progress, as they understand it, succeeds. It all must go, be removed, taken down, revised, reinterpreted. And he says, the present campaign to remove Confederate symbols then should be viewed in this light, and it must be stoutly opposed with that full understanding. And of course, that's what it is. He calls it cultural Marxism, which some people have asked what that means. And of course, if you go out and you do a search for it, uh, people have gone out and looked it up, and if they don't understand the meaning... And they're saying what's being used by the right now is some type of reversion of the real meaning of cultural Marxism. But essentially what that means is that you're, you're uh, leveling all cultures, that Western civilization is no better than any other civilization, and that it needs to be torn down and leveled off. That's what Marxists do, that uh, all people are quote-unquote equal in condition. And so therefore you can't have anyone rise above that unless you're part of the party. And of course, in this particular case, the cultural Marxists don't believe all cultures are evil. They, uh, all cultures are equal. They they don't think Western civilization is anything to be celebrated at all. Of course, they're living in the benefits of it, but they don't think any of that needs to be ce uh, celebrated. And so they view their cultures as superior, and that's essentially what the, what the Marxists do. The political class, the party, is always going to rise above those who are living in one uh, one bedroom flat uh, with a chocolate ration and driving a Yugo. They're going to drive uh, a, a limousine and live in a very nice doce, an estate. Uh, they're going to they're going to have that, but all the commoners are just going to be living in their in their pathetic existence uh, with their uh, one article of clothing, uh, as their their uh, communist uh, cigarettes, uh, their their communist um, uh, food, their their you know prepackaged uh, basic food that they can get with a ration. They might get one loaf of bread that week or whatever the case may be. And uh, it's all from the same thing. And then, of course, they're all, uh, you know, driving, if they even have a vehicle, they're driving a Yugo. 
right? So uh, this is what Marxism is all about, and of course, that's what they want to do to Western civilization. Uh, dumb it down to that, where it's no better than anything else. It's done nothing good. It's only been evil. It's only been destructive. Of course, they don't see all the other things with it, but that's the point. Uh, and so uh, I think Dr. Cathy does a nice job in pointing that out in this particular piece. And then if you look at what Marshall DeRosa wrote on Tuesday, it's the title of this piece was The Alabama Memorial Pres Preservation Act and the Political Market. A lot of people misinterpreted this piece as saying that that piece of legislation was bad. Uh, Dr. DeRosa wouldn't say. He's not saying that. He's saying it's not enough because eventually what's going to happen is that particular piece of legislation could be done away with. Uh, you're looking at the political class, and the political class simply sticks their finger in the wind, and eventually that, that finger in the wind could change. Uh, and so this is just a stopgap, and it's eventually going to get run over. As he says, all this stuff is simply a skirmish and a covert war to remake America. Uh, this is a rearguard action, as he says, in this war against genuine republicanism. Uh, and so what's going to happen? And he says, you know, actually he's made this point in the piece that Lee would have gladly agreed with taking down these monuments if people could learn that real republicanism was, was going to come out of that. You know, you take them down uh, if people are going to start realizing the enemy is government here, that you can't ask the government to solve the problem because government is the problem. Uh, because government is pushing this agenda at all levels, whether it's at the central government or the state governments or the local governments. They're pushing the agenda, and of course that's because the culture in America has changed. And so this really is, as Pat Buchanan pointed out, all the way back in the, in the uh, 1990s, early 2000s, this is a culture war. We're in a culture war in America, uh, and that's the real problem. Uh, people are looking at this as a political war, and then they're going to political solutions, but that's not the issue. The issue is a culture war. The one side is on these, always on the offensive, and they're never slowing down. Whereas we, on our side, will say, well, we got that piece of legislation, so we're going to sit back now and, and just say, okay, all's good. But that's not going to work. What we have to understand is that real republicanism is at stake here. And so what needs to happen is people need to understand uh, that we need to think about these things in a different light. As as um, as General Lee said, and Marshall DeRosa points this out, he, he said, quote, I grieve for posterity, for American principles and American liberty. That's what Lee said in 1868. And Marshall says, in a few short years, there might be a little grieving if those principles and that liberty have been wiped from the American consciousness. The best remnant traditionalists, South, North, East, and West, can do under circum current circumstances is to maintain the consciousness of the founding principles of 1776 and 1861, and come to the realization that the enemy is government under the control of evil manipulators. And he says, we have to strike at this at every time. Uh, the first strike being its illegitimacy. So, uh, as he says, as the vandals tear down his memorials to Lee, let the truth behind those memorials rise in you and yours. Then and only then will true republicanism have a chance to rise again. So what we have to do is, is think about this. This is about education, and this is why we're here. The memorials can come, and they're going to come down. More are going to come down. Just in St. Louis, another one came down. They're going to be or contextualized, as they call it, or uh, rededicated, or all kinds of other processes. This is all going to happen. 
But if those memorials come down, if the symbols come down, the principles by which those symbols stood should still be there. And that's the one thing we can take from this. The remnant will still exist. For years in Ireland, it was illegal to fly the green flag, but the green flag was still there. Latent. It was still there. It was still in the people. They could still sing the songs. And as long as we can do that, even if you have to go underground for a time, so to speak, uh, we still survive in this, and the principles still survive. The pendulum swings in history. It always does. And so who knows what's going to happen in the future. But uh, I, I think that um, what Marshall is saying here is that he doesn't want them to go away. But if they do, maybe it will rekindle in people this, this love of republicanism and the principles behind which America was founded. And that's what we're talking about here at the Abbeville Institute. What is true and valuable in the Southern tradition? Well, decentralization, uh, Southern culture, Southern heritage, these type of things that are important. We can still sing the songs as long as we keep that alive. And in that regard, uh, you know, we had the piece on uh, Thursday. I'm going to skip over Wednesday for a second. But Thursday, we had Gail Jarvis write a piece, New Orleans Major, Ma- Mayor Hypes his Cultural Cleansing. And so he gave this speech after the monuments came down and how it was, uh, you know, it's a wonderful thing for history. You hear that term sometimes, you're on the wrong side of history. It's such a stupid term. There's no other way to describe it. What does that mean anyways? What is the wrong side of history? And who determines what's right and wrong in that? Uh, this is about saying there's an absolute. There's no absolutes. Uh, there's no wrong side. I mean, what does this mean? Uh, and, of course, uh, coming out this week, Landrieu is under extreme attack in New Orleans now because, I mean, he's saying, Mitch Landrieu is saying, well, if these monuments are keeping people from living in New Orleans, it's slowing us down. How so? I mean, New Orleans has the highest crime rate in the country, if not in almost the entire world. Is that the is a Confederate monument causing that? Maybe people are leaving because the city is so bad. So this is deflection. So that's what this is doing at oftentimes. It's, it's a way to garner votes, to, uh, to be a demagogue, to uh, deflect the real problems. When people don't come back to New Orleans, when the crime rate keeps skyrocketing, when the economy st- stays in the toilet, what's he going to blame it all then? Well, I guess it must be Andrew Jackson's monument, or it must be the Joan of Arc monument, or whatever the case may be. But he's inciting violence. Uh and this is the problem. You know, as, as Jarvis asks, what's he going to do next when the city just continues to fall apart? What's he going to blame? This is all deflection. And that's the sad thing about this. This will have no bearing on whether New Orleans gets better or worse. In fact, I mean, I think it would, it's actually going to drive more people out of New Orleans. I think that's going to be the real issue with New Orleans. People are just not going to go anymore. Why would you? You take, you take your life in your hands if you go there now. And more and more people aren't going to go because they're going to boycott the city. You would have historical tourism there, but I think some people will start leaving. If you start tearing all this stuff out, why would you even go anymore? It's going to lose all of its charm, all of its character. That's why people would go to New Orleans. And if they can't go in there, if they're not going to see that stuff anymore, why go? So I think they're playing with fire here, and they're going to get burned by it. And, of course, that's the sad thing. And I know people are trying to look at this. You know, First of all, one thing about this whole issue, and people have said, well, this is a local issue. And if the local people in New Orleans want to take them down, then, uh, then they can do that. Well, in some way, they're right about that. But, of course, a city is a corporate entity of the state. And if the state of, New- of Louisiana came back and said, you know what? You're going to lose your charter. You're going to lose your corporate status if you don't put the monuments back up. 
well, then that would happen. Uh, we'll just we'll just disincorporate New Orleans and we'll make it just part of, of Louisiana. You don't have a city government anymore. We'll take it out. You can't do it. Uh, and so what are you going to do about it now? That's the one thing people don't understand about cities. They are the agents of the state, and the state has a tremendous amount of control. And if the state wanted to say, you can't take these things down, you can't. And if the state wanted to say, you're going to put them back up, well, then you would if, you, if you're going to lose your, your uh, status as a city. The state will take it over and run New Orleans. And that could happen. So I think that this is the people of, of Louisiana should be looking at this and saying, you know, no, we're not going to have this happen. We're going to go in and say, okay, enough. We're living in, in Louisiana. I think this is a Louisiana issue. It's not, it's not an issue for people in Alabama or Georgia or Tennessee uh, to, to, I mean, we can, we can have an opinion on it. We can voice our, our perspective on it. But the people of Louisiana have to get involved here and change this. And so I hope they do. But that's what it's going to come down to. And so when you look at that, I mean, again, this is what are you going to do when New Orleans is still in the toilet, Landrew, and uh, the Confederate monuments had nothing to do with that. That's the major question. All right, so all those pieces went together. And then the other two pieces for the week, the piece on Wednesday was a book review written by Clyde Wilson. It was a review of the book Music from the Lake and Other Essays by Catherine Savage Brossman. And uh, she'll actually be speaking uh, at our summer school, Dr. Brossman. She uh, taught at uh, Tulane University. Uh, taught literature there. And this is a nice short little review. Uh, but um, as um, as uh, Clyde points out, you know, she is a, a uh, excellent uh, Southern writer. And he says, uh, you know, she's like Poe or Sims or Warren or Garrett or Barry or Chapel. Uh, she's, she's versatile. Poetry, essays, literary criticism and history. And I think she's, uh, uh, she teaches French, actually, French uh, literature and French. Uh, and so this is a... Um, a, uh, and she's written poetry for uh, for Chronicles magazines and other places, um, and uh, uh, so it's a it's a wonderful thing to uh, have her come and speak at the summer school, uh, but uh, also to get this collection of essays and and uh, poetry uh, because it is Southern in character, and I think that's one thing that we have to understand when we look at Southern culture and what it is and what it means. Literature is the heart of that. So is music and art. Um, to have those things, and also an understanding of life and the world and where we fit in society and manners and these type of things are so important for maintaining a, a vibrant community. And more than anything else, that's, what, that's what's the heart of, of being Southern. It's the community that we need to understand and, and embrace and uh, help each other out. And, and um, you know, if we, can, if we have a commonality, and the culture is that, and it's as, as we say in the summer school, you know, it's, it's uh, something bigger than just um, you know, being Southern is something different. Uh, and uh, we need to identify what that is and how we fit in modern society as modern society continues to go into the toilet. Uh, Southern, being Southern actually offers reprieve from that. And so reading literature and understanding Southern music as a greater part of Western civilization, that's important. And all people in the South, I mean, understanding Southern culture for all people in the South is, is very important as well. And so that's one thing we've always tried to do at the Institute and, and bring that out. But uh, this little review, I'd, I'd highly recommend getting picking up that book, Music from the Lake, uh, and she will be there at our summer school. She'll be going to that. 
uh, you will be able to meet her and maybe bring the book along and get it uh, autographed. We also have another review out there from one of her other books uh, as well on uh, Southwestern Writers. Uh, that'll be probably published sometime in July or August, uh, so be looking for that as well. And then finally on Friday, we ran a piece uh, by John Devaney uh, entitled, uh, this is the second part of his uh, Yankee Finance Capitalism Made Simple, and this is the Jeffersonian Triumph. And a lot of people don't realize because we think that the, and actually the next piece is going to be on the Federal Reserve. But we think uh, that somehow Jeffersonian economics was always in the minority. Well, this is just simply not true. It's true that the Bank of the United States, which is the Hamiltonian system, was established in 1791, then lasted until 1811. But then from 1811 to 1816, we didn't have a central banking system. And then from 1816 to 1836, we did. But then from 1836, essentially, till 1913, we had a different type of system. And particularly before the war, for about 30 years before the war, we had an independent treasury. And it was only during the war that we had the National Banking Acts that uh, Lincoln actually favored that centralized the banking of the United States a little more. Uh, it still wasn't completely centralized, but it was much more of the Hamiltonian system. But for a time, this Jeffersonian view, an independent treasury... Uh, a much more decentralized banking system in a lot of ways, it worked. And it was the dominant economic system in America. And for a time during the Jack Andrew Jackson administration, the United States had no debt at all. Uh, and of course, even during the Jefferson administration, that debt was cut in half. Uh, so there was a time when Jeffersonian economics actually won the day, even when we had the central banking system. Now, uh, my forthcoming How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America uh, gets into that, the creation of the bank and the constitutional ramifications behind that. And John, uh, Dr. Devaney gets into this a little bit here uh, and how uh, that came about. But uh, a lot of people don't realize, I mean, the bank was actually brought up um, and uh, at the Philadelphia Convention. John mentioned this in, in one, uh, one sentence. I get into that in more detail. It was brought up and rejected. At the Philadelphia, exp expressly rejected at the Philadelphia Convention. And so, you know, a lot of people don't understand that Jeffersonian economics, the ideas of Jefferson, which, uh, you know, was, most, was best expressed by John Taylor of Caroline, that was the dominant economic view in America. And this is what the agrarians were talking about in the 1930s. This is what agrarianism is all about, a much more decentralized, limited banking system. Uh, and so when you look at you know, what is true and valuable in the Southern tradition, this is part of it, this type of, of Jeffersonian economy that uh, really was the, was the dominant feature of America for, for much of early American history that was only changed after the war. As we started seeing the Gilded Age, and then, of course, we got into the Federal Reserve System uh, in the early 20th century, and we've had that for over 100 years now. But um, for much of American history or the early American history, that wasn't the case. We had a different type of economic system, and if we just understood our own history, if we understood where we come from in that particular way and how, how dominant Jefferson and Jefferson ideas were uh, for much of American history, it wouldn't be an alien principle to say we believe in decentralization at all levels. We believe it in banking. We be I mean, and look, I mean, we can say the banks are evil. Who bailed out? I mean, what got bailed out in 2007? The banks. We can all talk about this. You know, these, these large banks and how we don't really have anything that's too big to fail. We don't have any of that. We can talk about these things. That's Jeffersonian principles. We shouldn't view it as Marxism because Jefferson was not a Marxist. We should view it as Jeffersonianism. 
you know, agrarianism. That's the real critique. And so the 1930s, the critique of industrial capitalism came first from Southerners who weren't necessarily against markets or the free market as Marxists are. They were just against state capitalism. So that's what we need to understand, and, that's, and Dr. Devaney does a nice job in these particular pieces in pointing that out. So we had a lot of good stuff this week, you know, focusing on the controversies in the South and Southern history in the context of Western civilization. Of course, it's Jeffersonian tradition that we often talk about in the podcast and the, and the website. You need to understand those things. We had a lot of good stuff, and we'll keep doing that. And uh, you need to, uh, again, if you like our material, please share it around. Uh, it's the only way we're going to continue to grow and uh, add uh, and get more likes and listens and these type of things. And if you do like what we do, consider making a tax-deductible contribution to the Abbeville Institute and helping us keep the podcast going, the website going, and the lights on and our good programs that we like to do uh, every year for the public and for the academic and student community as well. Until next time, good day. Good day.